when you do what seems impossible and you rejoice, not only in your trial, but because of your trial and because of the Christ-likeness it produces in your life, God immediately swoops in and supplies you with the strength to endure it. And when you experience strength beyond yourself that is more than enough, you will experience great hope and God's love will flood your heart because you will not just know technically that he's got you, but you will know by firsthand experience that he's got you. I'm going to talk about thriving in your trials. Thriving in your trials. This really needs no introduction because I think we are all well aware that life is full of trials. So there is no need for me to convince you of this truth. But I want you to look at the Word of God at what our response should be in in trials. How can we thrive during trials? Let's look together at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. It says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, has, who was given to us. It starts off by saying, and not only this, because in verse one, verses 1 and 2, he talks about being justified and now having peace with God. In other words, it's saying, not only have we been saved and that's taken care of, but we also exult in our tribulations. This verse is so powerful because it doesn't just leave us hanging with a command to rejoice in our tribulations, but it tells us the reason and the purpose of our rejoicing. And so this verse outlines three intended results that trials should be producing in our lives, as well as telling us the source of our power to exult in the trial. This text is so rich, and I believe we've so many times missed the main point of the passage because we get so wrapped up in our responsibility to rejoice during the trials that we never take our eyes off ourselves and our problems, and and consequently, we end up facing trials in our own strength. But before we get to that, let's look at it from the beginning. It starts off by saying, but we also exult in our tribulations. This is in the present tense, so it's better understood, but we are always and continuously exulting in our tribulations. The word tribulations is the Greek word thlipsis, and it means an intense crushing or squeezing. It can even mean breaking. This is not a word for a gentle pressure or a slight inconvenience. This is the most pressure you can possibly experience. It says exult in times of intense crushing, and the word exult here means to glory on the account of your trial. Catch this. To exalt here in the tribulations does not mean merely in the midst of your tribulation or during the tribulation, but because of your tribulations. It's saying to see your tribulations as assets to you. See your intense crushing circumstances as a great asset in your life. James says the same thing in chapter 1, verse 2 of his epistle. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The word consider is the Greek word hegeomai. It means to rule or to make a ruling, to deem, to make the determination, to decide or to judge. 
This is not a word that means to waffle or waver or ponder. It is a word of determination. It is also in the aorist tense, which means it's a once-for-all action. Our passage in Romans is in the present tense, so it means we should always be rejoicing in our trials. But I love how James has it in the aorist tense as well as in the imperative, which makes it a command. It could be better translated, I command you to once for all make the ruling of joy in your trials. Settle the issue. Determine it as joy. Do not reconsider with every new trial. It's a settled case. Trials equal joy. In other words, since God never changes, we never need to check in again with him on this one. We can settle the matter once and for all that trials equal joy. You may be saying to yourself, what kind of sick people are these Christians that consider their problems to be joy? By the way, a little side note, the word encounter, when James says, consider it all joy when you encounter trials, is the Greek word parapipto. Peri means around and pipto means to fall. It's a word used to fall around someone or totally embrace them as to wrap yourself around them. The way we can understand this is encountering trials is to fall into a place of being totally surrounded and totally enveloped in trials or a trial as a heavy cloak of trials being thrown over you. Listen how this same word parapipto is used by Jesus in speaking of the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 verse 30. It says, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he encountered robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. It's as if our trials have completely surrounded us as a gang of robbers, raining down crushing blows and kicking us from all sides. You're probably saying, when are we going to get to the encouraging part of this? But aren't you glad that when the Bible talks about the trials we go through, It doesn't use soft words which would lead us to believe that God's power is only sustaining during the easy trials, but we are completely hopeless when the heat really gets cranked up. The Bible says even in the worst of the worst of the worst trials, deem it joy. Let's look back at our main text to see the reasons for our rejoicing. Romans chapter 5, look at verse 3, we'll start at the beginning. But we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. First it says, exult, or glory in the fact that your tribulations bring perseverance. Perseverance is the word hupomone. It literally means to remain under, meaning one who does not deviate from the pursuit of God under pressure. In other words, tribulations produce faith that remains under the burden of any trial, immovable faith. Next, it says tribulations produce proven character. This is someone who has been tested and having passed the test is now reliable. It would be naive to think that we could do anything substantial for God without having our character tested for the purposes of making us reliable and strong. For what good is someone that blows over the moment any adversity arises? We don't send soldiers off to war without first replacing every weakness in them with strength because their lives and everyone's life around them depends on it. 
and depends on them being properly tested, proving as a boiling to the surface any weakness that exists. Look what he says it produces next. Knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. Now I'll be honest with you, it, it took me a long time to figure this one out. I can understand that trials make us stronger and more capable, but how do they provide hope? One commentator wrote regarding this hope, the experience of what God can do, or rather of what he does do, for the justified amid the tribulations of this life, animates into new vigor the hope with which the life of faith begins. You see, when we rejoice in our trial, it is an act of complete dependence on God. And our dependency on Him allows Him to show us His faithfulness and move on our behalf. Think about it. What sort of supernatural empowerment does one need to complain in their trial? What kind of divine strength do we need to be miserable in our trial? That's easy. He says when you glory or when you rejoice in your tribulation, you are doing something that is so beyond human ability that it invokes the power of God into operation, which produces a hope because we see his mighty hand moving in our lives. It goes on to say, and this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When you do what seems impossible and you rejoice, not only in your trial, but because of your trial and because of the Christ likeness it produces in your life, God immediately swoops in and supplies you with the strength to endure it. And when you experience strength beyond yourself that is more than enough, you will experience great hope and God's love will flood your heart because you will not just know technically that he's got you, but you will know by firsthand experience that he's got you. It's one thing to have faith in someone else's experience of God in their trial, but it's quite another to experience him firsthand in your trial. Allow me to develop this idea a little further. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And starting in verse 7, Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul said, I prayed three times for this affliction to leave me, but the Lord replied, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. The Lord is saying to Paul, instead of removing your affliction, I'm going to show you something that is so much greater than taking away your affliction. I'm going to show you a grace that is incomprehensible and a power that sustains you no matter what this world or Satan may bring at you. It says, for power is perfected in weakness. A better way to understand this is to translate it, for God's power has occasion to exert itself 
in your weakness. That is so good. Speaking of this verse in relation to God's power, John Calvin wrote, For mankind have no taste of it, unless they are first convinced of the need of it, and they quickly lose sight of its value, if they are not constantly exercised with a feeling of their own weakness. You see, by our submission to God, we leave room for God's hand of providence to work in our lives. If you've ever been broken before the Lord, you can attest to the supernatural strength that He fills you with. Just when you think you cannot go on any longer, He reinvigorates your faith so you can get up and keep pushing. And so we see in our weakness, God's power has an occasion to exert itself. Look again at verse 9 because Paul reinforces the point here. He says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He's saying, I would rather have my afflictions and weaknesses and trials because I get to experience the power of Christ dwelling in me. Paul rejoiced not because of the pain, but because the pain revealed the power of God through and to him. So how can we rejoice in our trials? Because we know that we will get to experience for ourselves his power, his strength, his hope, and his love. And I don't know about you, but when I endure trials in my own strength, they never make me feel invigorated. Instead, they make me exhausted, hopeless, and feeble. And when we don't rejoice in our trials, we, for, we forfeit God's power and strength to operate in our lives. When we complain and look negatively at our, at our tribulations, we are stuck with our strength as our only resource. And so the next time you face a trial, get excited because God is setting the stage to show you his faithfulness. He's creating an occasion to exert his power towards you. And why is he doing this? Because he's looking to develop a people that can fully trust him, even in the worst of times. As Romans said, a people of proven character. He's pulling us in closer. He's preparing his bride. You know, Jesus commanded us to have childlike faith. What is that? It's the faith of someone totally dependent on their Heavenly Father, with no resource of their own except what is given to them. Children have to look to their parents for everything, from getting a 25-cent toy in one of those machines that the store so conveniently places at the exit, all the way to a severe illness. It is 100% reliance on their parents. And this is the kind of faith he is not only looking for, but actively working to build in us. So do not resist your trial. Do not hold your breath through your trial. Rejoice in your trial because God will divinely supply you with everything you need and reveal his great power to you to build in you a trust and proven character that can never be shaken. Let me show you one last component to this. So God says, rejoice in trials because I want to show you my power and my strength, which results in confidence in him that produces a person of great endurance. So where do we get tripped up all the time? Our single biggest problem is that we are trying to use today's grace and today's strength on tomorrow's problems. He wants you to trust him today, and even more specifically, right now. You see, each day you wake up, 
God has allotted to you the grace, strength, and power to not just make it through, but to overwhelmingly conquer. But we spend those resources on tomorrow's worries, which makes today's resources deficient. Lamentation says, His mercies are new every morning. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread. Bread was a powerful symbol of God's provision for his people in the Old Testament. So daily bread is his daily provision of everything that we need. Remember the Israelites in the wilderness when they gathered the manna that God had sent from heaven and they tried to store the day's supply for the next day. What happened to it? It spoiled because God was building in them a trust and a confidence in his daily provision. Listen. When we rely on His grace and His strength, day by day, His grace is sufficient and more than enough. When we take His all-sufficient supply for today and try to store it up for tomorrow, it will spoil because you are now trying to make provision for yourself and depend on yourself. Matthew 6, 34 says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We are very good at putting our trust in our own safety nets. But if you've been living in the same world that I am, you know that cars break down, companies downsize, people get ill, and we are all just one phone call away from our whole world collapsing around us. Do not put your faith in the illusion that by holding your breath you can prevent the rug from being ripped out from underneath you. Do not put your trust in your constant worry, as if by worrying, it's somehow going to go into your future and fix all your future problems. Put your trust in a God that goes before you and that orders your steps. And so finally, I encourage you, rejoice, glory, and boast in your trials, because it is an occasion for God to show his power and strength which will in turn produce a vibrant faith within you that trusts in God for the, for the now, for today. Because when you experience his divine power and operation in your life today, you will have confidence that he will meet you again tomorrow with a fresh set of resources for tomorrow.